Last night I talked about the ministry of the Spirit or the ministry of the Holy Ghost and what it does and how not only does it baptize you into the body of Christ and then it catches you away at the catching away of the parousia, but in between Pentecost and rapture, uh, there's something and a job that the Holy Ghost wants to do to and through the church. And we, we dealt with that last night. Uh, the main thing that I want to review is the anointing oil that we discussed. When, for those that were not here, when God came down and told Moses, I want to, you to build me a tabernacle that I might dwell with man. And if you start reading from verse 1 of chapter, I believe it's 25, you will find out that he told them that the tabernacle was going to be built by their giving, by their sacrifice, by what they had to offer. And a lot of times we come in church and feel that we're inadequate. We don't have anything to offer to the plant. I'm just here to get my soul fed. Well, the spirit is able to energize the body to where each member is able to energize and to feed the next member. So it's not just one or a few or a handful, but everybody in the church has a gift. And that gift needs to be uh, not only acknowledged and found and sought out by you from the Lord, but also fulfilled in your life. So we talked about how this oil was going to be made. And he told Moses that when you make this oil to anoint the tabernacle, and, and it's, this oil is going to be able to anoint everything under God's tent, the ark, showbread, the golden labor, the labor of washing, all of that, everything was going to be anointed by one oil. And he told him how to make it, and then he told him that this oil is going to be holy to me. This oil can never be reproduced by you. You can't just decide on your own that I'm going to try to produce my own anointing. But the anointing and, the, and to enter into my presence, you have to have it the way I laid out. All right, so the oil, once again, could not be poured upon the flesh of man. In other words, man will not be able to receive the glory of God because he said, I don't share my glory with another. So we don't deify men. We don't worship men. And we live in a day now where uh, people are, are, are worshiping men. In fact, we come to hear the man or the woman more than to really hear from God. Next, he says that whatever touches this oil is going to be made holy. So then he brings in how we affect our surroundings, our families, our friends, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools. He says that anything that touches anything that touches this oil will be made holy. All right, then he says that you can't pour this oil upon a stranger. In other words, no man can come into the Father except the Spirit draw him. Don't cast your pearls among the swine. Don't waste what I've given you. Uh, you need to be able to deal with a certain amount of discernment to know, okay, God's dealing with this person with that, and God's dealing with that person with that. And, and sometimes we cast our pearl among the swine, and it ain't time yet. God's not dealing with them. So like my wife said, God told her, no, I'm not taking it away because you ain't serious. So sometimes God is still dealing and proning and, and, and probing for people to let things go. And then you can step in and minister to them. So he dealt with that oil. But the main thing I want to deal with is the one who made the oil. Because it wasn't Moses that actually 
made this concoction of oil, but it was a man by the name of Bezalel, and his name means under the shadow or under the, the protection of God. In order for anointing to flow from your life, you're going to have to be under the shadow of the Almighty. You have to be in the secret place. You, you're not going to be a common person. You, you're going to be a set-apart person, and folks are going to realize that there's something different about your life. And also, his assistant, Aholiab, means my father's tent. So here the anointing is actually made. It's manufactured in the presence of worship under the shadow of God. You have to be in close communion with him. Now, my wife mentioned something about the garden and how when they sinned, they hid from God. And consequently, by clothing themselves from God, they were also clothing themselves from each other. So when they hid themselves from God, they began to hide themselves from each other. So that thing trickled on down through mankind, and here we are in 2008 hiding ourselves from other people. Not only from God, but from other people, because remember, God wants to flow through you to affect other people. So when you hide from God, you automatically disconnect yourself from the ministry that he has for you. All right. So we don't want to hide from God, but we want to hide in God. All right. Many of us as kids usually had one particular place where we would go and we would hide and that would be our little secret place. Uh, I remember there was a, we had a big wingback chair in our living room, and I used to like to go back and get behind that chair in the corner, and nobody would see me. In fact, one day, we were, my brother and I were outside. We call ourselves trying to court and Mac, get our Mac on with the, with the girls across the street. And uh, our mother had called us into the house, and we just stayed out there, stayed out there. She kept calling, Sean, Andre, come in this house. And we out there, we out there, and uh, next thing I know, here she come with a little robe with a belt, just chasing us down the street. I told y'all to get in this. She caught Sean, but she didn't catch me. And so uh, she was looking for me. And, and so Sean said, well, uh, Mama Puffy's in the living room behind the chair. So he knew where my hiding spot was. That was my protection. And she came and wore me out. Then when I got older, I had a captain's bed. That bed that sits real high, and from the front, it had two drawers on it. But in the back, it was just hollow. It was just hollow. So I would get behind that bed, and I had my little cover set up like a tent, and I propped it up in there. And I would go under my little captain's bed in the back, and, and nobody would know I was really in there. But that was my little hiding place. But Peanut dealt with running to certain things. Many of us have a lot of different hiding places, but God wants us to hide ourselves in him. Now, I didn't deal with it, but one of the things that the scripture said about the Holy Ghost is that when he comes, he will show you all truth. Now, when you got to look at the word all because he's not just talking about doctrinal truth, but he's talking about relevant truth. He's here to expose the truth in you, even though you try to lie about it and say, I'm not this and I'm not that and I don't fear and I don't doubt. He, the Holy Ghost is able to expose 
all truth. Because unless all truth is exposed, then his ultimate doctrinal truth will have no effect on you. Because you're hiding from it. You're covered from it. All right, so let's get Psalm 91. As you're getting that, one thing about Bezalel was that he was not, and when God told Moses to make that oil, he said, I want you to make it like a professional perfume maker would make perfume. But Bezalel was not a professional perfume maker. He dealt with metal, wood, and stone. So he dealt with, with things of deity, he's, he dealt with things of man, and he dealt with things of the heart. That's what wood, stone, and uh, metal represent. So God wants us to really be able to affect every part of man, the spirit, the body, and the soul, uh, the mind. The church is supposed to address all of these things and not just the soul. This is why when, when Jesus was on his, in his earthly ministry, he didn't chide people openly for not receiving the salvation. If they wanted healing, he healed them and let them go on their way. Now, we, we feed you, but you need to be baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> see, sometimes folks, wanna, some, sometimes folks will see your good works and then come to the place where they can glorify God. But you didn't preach at them. You just showed God in his merciful and his graceful way of, of dealing with mankind. All right, Psalm 91 says, We live within the shadow of the Almighty, sheltered by the God who is above all gods. This I declare that he alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I am trusting him. For he rescues you from every trap. And protects you from fatal plague. Sometimes he won't keep you from getting sick. But he, he will cause that sickness from killing you. Some things come and, and we, we swear it's too heavy. Lord there's no way that I can deal with this burden. But he's letting you know that it, it's. In fact in the New Testament he said. This sickness is not unto death. In other words I, I, I'm trying to show my glory in this situation. And if you could just stop for a minute and stop blaming me for what happened. And we're pretty much taught to be pessimistic, negative. He will shield you with his wings. They will shelter you. His faithful promises are your armor. You got to go back and, and read the promises of God. There's more promises of God than just him returning for the church. That's one promise. But there's some promises now, and, and realize that the Holy Ghost is an agent of time. The Holy Ghost is here to empower the church. The Holy Ghost is not just here just to escort you into eternity, but he's here to impart knowledge and wisdom and power and might and understanding and discernment and mysteries to you while you're here right now today. So he says, now you don't need to be afraid of the dark anymore, nor fear the dangers of the day. Some folks scared of the darkness, some folks scared of the light. Just scared. 
nor dread the plagues of darkness, nor disasters in the morning. Though a thousand fall at my side, though ten thousand are dying around me, the evil will not touch me. I will see how the wicked are punished, but I will not share it. For Jehovah is my refuge. I choose the God above all gods to shelter me. He said, I, I make a choice. Because the choice is many uh, things are placed before you to choose from. This is why the drug man will always be in business. Because he's providing something where, where momentarily and temporarily people can escape from their troubles. As sad as it may sound, in the stock market, when, when the economy starts going down, people pull their money out of stuff like technology and retail stocks. And you know where they put them? Put them in drugs, alcohol. Because those companies in, in slump times are going to go up. Not only that, but you, uh, one of the uh, most thriving companies on the market is uh, one of the hotels in Las Vegas. The Las Vegas, I believe it's the Sands. Folks start gambling. They turn to gambling in the time of turmoil. They turn to drinking in the time of turn. They turn to smoking cigarettes. Some that put the habit down, when things get rough, they go right back into smoking cigarettes. So money goes into all these different companies, and you start seeing these companies start to flourish around the time when the economy's slumping. Why? Because it's innate in man to want some place to hide. It's not unhealthy to want to hide, but it's unhealthy to hide in someone other than your creator. So how then can evil overtake me or any plague come near? For he orders his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will steady you with their hands to keep you from stumbling against the rocks on the trail. You can safely meet a lion or step on poisonous snakes. Yes, even trample them beneath your feet. For the Lord says, because he loves me. And this is the point you got to get to. When your love for God reaches a certain point, then it does something in heaven and it does something for your relationship with God. Then he rescues you. I was a junior lifeguard as a kid. And the first thing he taught you is you got to calm the person down when you get to them in the water. You can't save somebody that's panicking. They'll drown you out there. But you got to be able to speak something calmly to them and cause them to calm down and let them know, I got you. I got you. But as long as they're panicking, and th there's nothing you can do. Sometimes lifeguards have left folk out there because they're not going to drown when they were sent to save. What would it look like for the lifeguard to drown? We serve a God that deals in salvation, healing, bearing burdens. But he's able to bring you safely to the shore. But he has to speak something calm for you to calm down. Tell somebody, calm down. I will rescue him, and then I will make him great because he trusts in my name. When he calls on me, I will answer. I will be with him in trouble and rescue him, and not only that, but I'll honor him. Most, most people don't feel like they're worthy of any honor. No, you know, just, you know, I'm just trying to make it day by day, by day one day at a time, you know. 
I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody that can save anybody. And the woe is me, and I can't, you know. Bishop James Johnson preached a message once, and, and somebody came up to him and said, man, Bishop, that was a great sermon. And Bishop said, oh, that was just Jesus. That was just Jesus. And the person said, Bishop, now you know if Jesus preached, he would have done a much better job than you. So go ahead and receive the honor that is due you. <laughs> and don't try to push it off on God. All right. And Bishop said, I, re I receive it. I receive it. All right, I will satisfy him with full life. Full life. While you're down here, God is able to satisfy you. Now, it's not the same satisfaction because heaven and, and, and eternity uh, can't be compared with. But what we, all we have is right now, really. Because right now is what affects your eternity. We got to deal with the right now. We can't ignore the right now. We, we can't look at the right now and try to make it into something else. But you got to deal with it. Sometimes I wonder, why don't people just deal with stuff? Because you're going to have enough problems in your life to where if you don't deal with them, they'll start stacking up. My wife has some great aunts. And, and they just, the house... Over the years, they just kept keeping junk. And you could barely walk through the house. There wasn't an aisle as wide as this row here that you can walk through in the house. From floor to ceiling, old newspapers, books, magazines, just everything. Just collecting junk. When Jesus says, all ye that are heavy laden, and you got a burden, bring it to me. And then we can do an exchange here. Because <laughs> the burden that I have is not as heavy as yours. Because when I give it to you, my grace and my mercy is attached to it. Then I'll take yours, and you take mine, and then you can walk without all that guilt, with all that fear, without all that worry. He's able to satisfy you with full life down here. And after this life, I'll give him my salvation. Didn't Jesus say that whoever has forsaken houses and land and father and mother, he said, I'll give that double fold in this life. And then on top of that, I'll give him in the life to come. Now, and, and we're, we're so prone to just say, oh, there's nothing good in this life. How could you say that when the Holy Ghost has been given? Never in the history of man has the Holy Ghost been sent down to earth. But in our dispensation. How can we say there's nothing good? There's some good. Now, see, then we, then we sing the song, I've had some good days and I've had some weary nights. But all of my good days outweigh my bad days. Do you really believe that? Or are you just singing a tune? 
Do you really believe that all your good days outweigh your bad days? Because if they do, then people won't be wondering, why are you so depressed all the time? Okay. The Holy Spirit reveals all this truth to us. The question is, are you willing to receive the truth? Are you willing to not only receive it, but the Bible talks about loving the truth. Because it's not until the truth is revealed that real healing, real sanctification can take place in your life. Psalm 27 and 5 says, For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle shall he hide me. Now, not just in the tabernacle, but within the tabernacle, there's a secret place. There's a room inside of a room. When I built my recording studio at my house, I have uh, the control room and then I have the recording booth. Now, the recording booth is attached to the wall that goes to the garage. And the problem that I knew I was going to have is when that garage door opens, that vibration is going to come right through that wall and interrupt my recording. So what I did is I took the frame, I framed the main thing off, and then we took and built a frame inside of that frame. Even when we did the floorboard, we put a big uh, constructional foam that they have that's able to absorb vibrations. So I don't care how much anybody beats on the other side of that wall, I'll be able to record in silence. This is the secret place of his tabernacle. It's a place that is undisturbed by anything that the devil, the world, or your flesh could ever bring to your mind. Your mind is in total tranquility and silence. You're in what they call an iso box. He's able to isolate you. And it's, a, it's really the isolation that he wants from us. Because he calls us out one by one. Psalm 31 and 19 says, Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Pride is something that we need to be hidden from. Because pride automatically exalts you above the plan and the mandate of God. Pride lifts you up above that. Like she said last night, you say when you go and take things into your own hands that, Lord, your love is not enough for me. We're going to take your love and set it over here to the side, and I want you to watch how it should be done. Then we learn at the last retreat, the, the clay does not speak to the potter. He doesn't look and say, what have you done with my life? Why are you doing this to me? All you have to do is wait. Wait. And then when God is silent, uh, one preacher said, your faith has to outlast God's silence. So he'll hide you in the secret of his presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from strife and tongues. He'll keep you secretly from strife and tongues. So there's no weapon that is formed against you 
It'll be formed, but it won't be able to penetrate. It won't be able to, to, to break the barrier of that ISO box. He said, every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, God is going to what? Condemn it. He'll confuse it. So he says, blessed be the Lord, for he has showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. It's one thing to, to, to reveal and see God's presence when everything's good and you're in the church and all that. But he was in a strong city. The psalmist was in a strong. The strong city represents that which has been overtaken by whatever your vice is, whether it be fear. And with fear comes torment. Whatever that is, whatever that strong city is, God is able to show you his marvelous kindness and to hide you from it. See, sometimes we think if we go out and, and even try to witness to folk and we tell folks about the goodness of God and all this, folk act like if you talk to, to folk out there in the world too long, they're going to pervert your thinking and we just want to hide in the four walls and have all this truth to ourselves. Somebody posed the question, what is all this light doing in a lighted building? Send that light somewhere else. Do we really believe that God's spirit, his word, is really powerful? Because if it is, we wouldn't be so worried about folk going to college. We wouldn't be so worried about folk getting different types of education. That was a fear in the church just one generation ago. They taught against college because they thought, oh, all this stuff we done pumped in the kids is going to be gone. Well, if they really got it, there's nothing that's going to be. It's all this up for right now, about two million being in Oprah's whatever religion. <laughs> when does she become the voice of God? Why are we shocked that sinners don't believe in God? <laughs> You're the tabernacle. All right, Hebrews 4 says, for the word of God is quick and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit okay remember we talked about the tabernacle and if our body is the temple of the holy ghost and he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands then that means that every piece of furniture in the tabernacle and in the temple correlates with some part of my makeup as a man or as a child of God, or as a human being, really. So now I've got to go and really study what part of me represents the labor washing and, and the brazen altar and, and the altar of incense and all that. But in the holy place, there was a curtain. There was a curtain that divided the holy place from the holy of holies. Okay? This is what he's talking about here. The word of God is able to take one room and divide it. Soul and spirit. Spirit being the holy of holies. Soul being the holy place. But when God's word really gets in you, when his spirit really becomes active in you, your soul and your spirit actually become one large room. The psalmist talks about God making a large room for me. What he's meaning is when Christ died on the cross, he tore that middle wall of petition and the two separations became one. 
Because only Moses, only the high priest, could go into the Holy of Holies. Nobody else could go in there. But when he tore it down, then that gave the entire Levitic priesthood access to the Ark of the Covenant, to the direct presence of God. We no longer have to depend on Aaron and Moses to come out and say, thus saith the Lord. Now you have an unction from the Holy Ghost yourself. This is why the Bible says that you have no need that any man teach you because the Holy Ghost becomes the ultimate teacher. That's what John said. So he's able to divide the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Here's the all truth again. He's able to pierce into your heart and really expose it. Now when he exposes it, well, you just ignore it. See, when God says, this is who you are, but this is who I want you to be, then we have to deal with it. How are we going to be transformed into what we are, into what he wants us to become? And it's the process that we fear. It's not the thought of the ultimate becoming, but it's the process. Lord, what are you going to do for me? And, and it's like being in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. There was a battle of the wheels. This is what I want. This is what you want. Can we compromise? That's what Jesus was saying in the garden. Can we compromise? And my wife didn't want to go too far, but I'm going to take it there anyway. When she talked about his will and your will, and then you finally give up to his will, but when Jesus finally gave to the Father's will, the Father slew him. Now, are you willing to chase his will to that extent? To where it kills you. And like we said last night. <laughs> the first thing. Is to bring your sacrifice. Your burden. Your stronghold to the altar. And allow God to slit its throat. Take that fear. And lay it on the altar. See and in the Old Testament. They were instructed to tie the sacrifice to the altar. That's why it had the post. Because why? If you ever cook meat on a grill, you realize the meat shrinks and it moves. So he wanted to keep that thing from jumping off of the altar so they tied it on there until it was burned up. So not only is it slain, but it's burned up. Now the question is, We've gotten plenty of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but when are we going to be baptized with the fire? Stuff was slain already. And it's almost as if we've done it like these new museums that are popping up. They got all these museums popping up where, they're, where they've taken different various aspects of the human body and they're putting them on display. It's the most gruesome thing if you look at it. And that's sometimes what we do. We're flaunting that thing that supposedly died in our lives and, and laying it on display. You say, I don't want nobody to see it. I want it to burn up. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto his eyes, unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. See, our only obligation ultimately is to God. And while we're trying to please all these folks and convince all these folks that we have joy, 
that we have victory. I don't care how much anybody shouts, that will never prove that you have victory. There's nowhere in scripture that says that, that, that a certain type of rejoicing proved your victory. We talked about Aaron's sons last night. We're ultimately responsible to him. And when we're ultimately responsible to him, we have to realize that everything's naked before his eyes. Seeing then that we have the great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly, boldly, unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So in other words, don't come to the throne with your head hung down. Most kids, for fear that the answer will be no, will never ask their father a question. Well, they say, I already know the answer. I already know what you're going to say, so never mind. No, he's saying, come boldly. Ephesians 2 and 18 says, for through him, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. 3 and 12 says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Now, these are words that sometimes most people will not lay upon themselves. Boldness, access, confidence. I have it in my gift, I have it in my talent, but do you have it in God? Hebrews 10 and 13, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart. Here's the truth again. Now your heart got to be true. The true God wants to deal with the, the reality and truth of your circumstance, your test, your trial, your being, your attitude, your mind, your spirit. He wants to deal with your true heart. Because God is very concerned about truth. Because he says, I am the truth. Yet he says, the revealer, the Holy Ghost doesn't just reveal the truth, but it reveals all truth. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. All right. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have, for he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say that the Lord is my helper. Listen, he's dealing with jealousy in this scripture because he wants you to realize that he's your personal savior. And many times we, we talk about the mystical body, but we don't really deal with the personal salvation of God. And that is he has become a personal savior to me. And some of the things that he saves me from is not going to look like the things that he saved you from. 
Some of the things that he's going to tell me to do is not going to he's not going to require that of you. So you don't have to be covetous and envious and jealous of another person's testimony or gift because he's going to be your personal helper. And he says, I will not fear what man shall do unto me. John 14, 12 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. But he says, greater works than these shall he do. Why? Because I go unto my Father. So he's dealing with the outpouring and the impartation of the Spirit now. So there's something in our communion with the Spirit that will transcend just the earthly ministry of Jesus. Remember now, we're not dealing with the Christ that was in the garden and received strength. Remember that from last night. We're not dealing with the Christ that thirsted and hungered and grew in stature and wisdom. But we're dealing with the Christ that has all power and ripped the keys of the kingdom of Satan from him and said, I have all the power. This is the Christ that we deal with. So we have to transcend just the earthly ministry and realize God's doing some supernatural stuff that will transform us. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, because he going to the Father, whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Okay? So once that anointing is made, anointing oil is made, and the furniture is created by Bezalel, him that dwells under the shadow of the Almighty, then he anoints what he created, then that, that grants them access into the Holy of Holies. And that is the place he told Moses, that's where I'm going to talk to you. That's where we're going to commune. That's where we're going to have a good time. It's a tragedy when two married people, because the, the body of Christ is compared to the marriage. And it's a shame when a husband and wife live in the same household and can't speak to one another. It's happening everywhere. It happens to folk I know. Saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, fire, baptized, and running for my life. Them. You got so much Holy Ghost, but you, you can't make that work. And we wonder why folk are not attracted to the church. Why folks are turned off by us. Kids just don't go to anybody. Stranger come and pick up a kid. That kid is like, oh, no. I went and picked up little Jasmine, Akili and Danella's little daughter. She, she likes me on first sight. And she'll reach out, and then I'll grab her, and then she'll, she'll stay for about 30 seconds. Then she realizes, okay, where's mama? Where's daddy? But the Bible says that children flock to Christ. Why aren't people appealing? Why aren't we appealing to people? Like I said before, why is the church known as having the meanest folk? It is. Just so mean in your rules and you're just, just judgmental. So what are the hindrances from us entering to the secret place? I'm only going to deal with, oh, actually I'm not going to deal with it. I'm just going to mention them. One is fear. She dealt with that. That's the worst one, really. It's a really bad one. Next is doubt. Because sometimes we have relative doubt. It, I believe that God can do something for them, but not for me. 
I enjoyed the testimony of this one and that one, but I, I really, deep down, I don't believe God can do that for me. We doubt. Next one is pride. And that, that automatically usurps your own will over God's will. Your understanding over his. Sometimes we act like God doesn't understand. We do. The reason he came in the flesh is that so he could understand. Remember, the, one of the things that the Holy Spirit is called is the spirit of understanding. Not in that he only gives you understanding, but he also is able to get understanding from you. He took on everything that we could possibly feel. And he took it and still got the victory over it, which tells you and I that through the Holy Ghost and the presence and, and being in his secret place, we can overcome the same thing. Because there is no failure in God. And if I'm in God, that means I can't be a failure. And the last one is independence. Just handling stuff on your own. You haven't the slightest clue of what you're doing. Like for watch, I watched watch HGTV and thought I could get out there and do stuff on my own. Having the slightest idea. I try to do it myself. No, I'm going to get somebody that specializes in this. I'm going to get me a Bezalel. He knows what to do. He knows exactly how to anoint what he made. God knows how to anoint what he made. So when you place yourself under the shadow of God in his secret place as Bezalel, you're able to produce, not only produce the oil, but you're also able to anoint things that have eternal quality to it and that will affect all who touch you. Yokes are meant to be destroyed and it will take the anointing to do it. But the special oil for the temple can only be made by Bezalel. It can only be made by that which is under the shadow of God. Jesus said, not only did I come to seek and to save that which was lost, but there's something else I'm looking for. Once I save you, once we're able to, to talk again and the enmity is gone, then we still got to get back to the place where I walked with Adam in the cool of the day. So I have to be under his shadow again. Not just in the temple, but in the secret place of the tabernacle. So we need the glory. Let's get Leviticus 9 and I'll be done. In verse number 6, he says, And Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commanded that ye should do. And if you do this, the glory of the Lord shall appear to you. Okay. Now notice the totality of the sacrifices. Because there was more than one thing that they had to lay on the altar and bring before the priest. They had to bring a sin offering, a wave offering, all of these various things. And you would find that when you read. But when you get down to verse number 22, it says, And Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people and blessed them. And then he came down from offering of the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings 
See, sometimes we only want to offer God the sin offering. That's the I'm glad God filled me with the Holy Ghost and I went down in Jesus' name testimony. And that's it. But where's the burn offering? Where whatever had you bound is being burned up. Where's the peace offering? And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people, and there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which all the people saw, and they shouted and fell on their faces. Now, I can't deal with it because it just hit me that of all the things they laid on the altar, the Bible says that the only thing that the fire burned up was the burnt offering. And then say the sin offering got burnt or the peace offering got burnt. But it was the burnt offering and the fat from that that got burnt up. But the point is that when you do what God says to do and you, you, you position yourself and, and set yourself in the right atmosphere, which is why we, we really started doing these type of, of retreats, is because we want to be able to, to, to have the atmosphere where we can really get into that secret place. Because if we lose that, then we're just coming for show. Once I, I titled one section of a lesson, Hide and Go Seek. We hid and he came seeking. But then he flips the script sometimes. He hides and expects you to seek. Because the Bible says the Lord knows how to hide himself. Then he says in Proverbs 25 and 2, it is the glory of the Lord to conceal a thing, but it is the honor of kings to search a matter out. And in order for you to get the person that's hiding, you have to go to where they are. You have to find them, and he's in the secret place. Sometimes you get to a point if you're scared of a certain thing, like if they're hiding behind a bush or something and you're scared to go back there because you're scared of bugs or whatever, you're not going to go in there. But that's where he's hiding. He's hiding in the place that tends to expose your greatest fear. He's hiding in the place that will cause you to come out of your, your, your most trusted comfort zone. So we don't want to offer the strange fire before the Lord because if we keep reading down, if you go to the next chapter, verse 10, we're going to read it now and then I'll be done. And Nabab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. You can't give God what he's not asking for. And it's a challenge. And it's a comfort zone. And I think the some are slowly coming out and, and starting to see things in a different light. When you experience that true presence, you start to look around and say, wow. The more you experience it, the more you yearn for it again and again and again. Because the stuff... 
that is outside the gate of the temple doesn't move you anymore. You want to be in the holy place because that's where God is able to crush those things in your life. He's able to really transform you. And that way you won't have a form of godliness and deny the power. The form of godliness says, come on, it's time to clap your hands and do this and do that. And we, we got A, B, C, D lined up in the service. And, and at this time, it's amazing to me how folk can be so in the spirit. And then somebody get on the mic and say, all right, uh, y'all got five minutes to shout. And then we got to shut it down. And when, right at the five minutes, it's all right, time's up. thought you were so in the spirit. So who's controlling who here? Is God controlling us or are we controlling God? All right, I'm finished. I'm finished.